Well, I was in the dentist's chair last week on Thursday when 28 of you attended the Protect Minnesota rally at the state capitol with Rev Kelly. Thanks a whole lot for doing that. And that indicates what we try to do around here. We try to gather people's energy in, from the group and get lots of different things done. Rev Jim has been home with foot surgery. I can be at the dentist. And Rev Kelly can even be waiting for the plumber like she was one day last week. But we still get things done. And that's the kind of interesting thing about a congregation and having lots of, of hands throwing in to do good work. Last night we had a memorial service in the afternoon and then a huge Tibetan New Year's uh, service and uh, that had people everywhere. And uh, we, then we had two of our building stewards here until midnight so that it looked like everything was perfectly clean this morning. And yeah, nothing happened yesterday. Well, that's kind of nice. Uh, it, you probably noticed the uh, sidewalks. Uh, do, do we have the cleanest sidewalks in town or what, right? Uh, right? That's not easy. That's not easy. You know, we're an urban congregation. We're across the street from one of uh, the um, uh, best contemporary art museums in the country. And we do something very extraordinary here. Yeah, yeah, you've heard someone say it, haven't you? You're telling me that a bunch of atheists, agnostics, heretics, free thinkers can have a church? Are you kidding? Well, we're here. And we've been here for over a century. And that's weird and interesting and kind of cool. So you heard about our short and sweet capital campaign. We're going to finish the overhaul of our building. When I came to this congregation five years ago, uh, I was given a packet of, uh, of surveys that had been taken. What should the next minister do? And then, what, what's this called, George? He knows what Cat 5 is, and he knows what a, what a tag, cloud. tag cloud is. The, I don't know how many of you can see this, but the tag cloud uh, definitely has as the biggest tag the fact that people wanted to do something about the building. Well, oh, cool, yeah. And five years later, four and a half years later, we have done something about the building and we're pretty close to being done with that. Kind of cool, huh? Secondly, in the survey, yeah, and, it, and you all did that, right? Uh, because, you know, I, I'm not, I don't have the means to feed my kids, let alone, you know, so I'm not giving a lot of, you know. So, um, yeah, you all did that. Uh, you did. The second thing was, uh, why don't more people show up? Uh, when I arrived, we were at the 140 adult members showing up on Sunday morning, and now we're pushing 200 when we don't have big snowstorms, right? Not bad. Not bad. Um, the, thirdly, the survey said, you know, what is our mission here at FUS? What, what does humanism even mean? Well, nowadays, what humanism even means is all around the building. If you want to know what it is, you can listen to what I'm about to say. Right, and just keep listening. But 
we have an elevator speech about humanism, sure, and that is from the Ubuntu tradition in Africa. I am because we are. I am because we are. That is the absolute core value of humanism. The survey said members wanted more social justice going on and more notice out there in the world that we were out there doing things. Now, Rev Kelly has been on WCCO TV three times in the last three weeks. You realize that? I don't. Oh, well, but you have once in a in a uh, sanctified uh, um, uh, event that we did with about around the the uh, Super Bowl, and then in one that was definitely not sanctified by uh, the Super Bowl committee uh, with the Black Lives Matter, and then uh, yeah, uh, the Protect Minnesota thing uh, also covered us last week. So three times in three weeks ain't bad, huh? Uh, as a matter of fact, you know, we, we've achieved everything on my list when I got here, but, you know, I don't think we should be done, frankly. I think we need to keep going. This congregation can do two things at once and three things at once and probably ten things at once uh, because it's not about me, it's not about Rev Kelly, it's not about Rev Jim, it's about all of us getting together, striving towards some common goals. And, you know, that's the humanist way. Because we believe in liberation. Liberation from superstition, liberation from delusion, liberation from oppression, and just liberation. For me, you know, and I can only speak for myself because we all are Unitarians around here. For me, the core value that we have is community, community. And another of our core values is authenticity. Here, you can actually say what you believe, right? which is kind of special, actually. Some of you know that I participated in a dialogue sermon last week at Westminster Presbyterian, and I presented there a completely materialistic, naturalistic, scientific viewpoint, as opposed to those things unseen, that more traditional viewpoint of Christianity. You may not be surprised to know that lots of people afterwards said, me too, from there. The difference between here and traditional congregations is that we consult science before we consult the scriptures. They're all good, but science first. We are, in that way, a tradition of anti-tradition. We will just keep changing as human ideas grow and expand. It's not accidental. One of the origins of this congregation was a group of free thinkers meeting here in Minneapolis in the 1870s. They were reading Darwin's Origin of Species and grappling with the implications of the theory of natural selection. In that way, they were some of only a very small group of people in 19th century Minneapolis who saw the reality of what was really there. That's what's important about the existence of this congregation, and it's what I want to talk about today. In my previous career as a college professor, I used to take groups of students uh, to England every year, and of course, no trip to London would be complete without a visit to Westminster Abbey. After all, there's been a church on that site for 700 years or so, no, 1,300 years. 
Westminster Abbey has long been the burial site for British royalty and notable people. Geoffrey Chaucer is buried there, for example, and that, he died a while ago. Buried prominently at Westminster Abbey is Charles Darwin. Now, when my American students would go in there, they would say, but wait, how can Charles Darwin be buried in a church? Well, some people don't quite see it as this war between religion and science. Darwin himself wrote in Origin of Species, quote, I see no good reason why the views given in this volume should shock the religious feeling of anyone. I mean, seriously, this guy would be 209 years old this year. What could possibly be dangerous about that idea? I mean, you know, rock and roll records were burned in the streets in the 1950s, but nowadays you can listen to rock and roll in your dentist's office. People get accustomed to ideas over time. But natural selection is a little more scary than that. Well, as the founders of this congregation understood in the 1870s, Darwin's theory of natural selection fundamentally changes the way we human beings view ourselves. Carried to its logical conclusion, Darwin's theory coupled with that, what we know from astrophysics, means that we live in an unconscious, willless, meaningless, and purposeless universe. Well, hmm. That's a little bit mind-boggling. Now, here's the good news from my viewpoint. 62% of Americans believe that natural selection is how species evolve. 62%, and that's not bad. The bad news is that 25% of that 62% believe that some sort of higher power guides natural selection. Now, I know that no one can say that's not true. It could be that there is some sort of guiding power in the universe, some sort of consciousness, or some sort of will acting as an engine to evolution and ongoing time. But I don't think that could be true, and I do want to make a case for that today, and as Unitarians, you decide. Centrally, I think it's unlikely, exactly because consciousness and will are human attributes that we human beings want. Why would the universe have consciousness and will just because we human beings think that's cool? How is believing consciousness and will exist in the universe any different from believing in imps and fairies and genies? The crucial insight, I think, is this. If there were a guiding mind or consciousness or force of some kind behind natural selection, that would mean that humanity is forever doomed to misunderstanding the nature of reality because that consciousness just is not talking to us. Saying that there is a point to natural selection removes the usefulness of natural selection as a way of finding out what reality really means. Reality appears to be random. But that's good because it means that meaning and purpose are human constructs open to our human creativity. And that's one of the few places where we human beings have any control over our reality, the way 
we creatively construct meaning and purpose. So you see, we don't really want a universe with inherent meaning and purpose and cosmic direction because it reduces us to searching for something that we could never understand. A meaningless and purposeless, unconscious and willless universe, that huge cosmos flying apart at ever accelerating speed, is the place where we human beings have the most validity as thinking, willing, and purpose-creating creatures. But getting to that place of understanding the implications of Darwin's big idea is not simple, and it is not intuitive. We intuit there must be a purpose out there. As you know, the history of science is usually told through biography. Galileo did this, then Kepler did that, and on and on. Consequently, scientists know that being the first person to discover something is how you get in the history and the science books. This fact has long made people curious about why Charles Darwin waited 23 years between the time that he discovered his theory of natural selection and when he published his discovery. Specifically, Darwin developed his theory in 1838, but waited until 1859. Why did he wait? And the answer is, nobody knows. But it's the sort of thing that, of course, we human beings will try to find meaning too, so it doesn't stop us from speculating. What was he doing? Now one reason for that 23-year wait could be that Darwin wanted to be sure of his theory through more research. We do know that during those 23 years, Darwin be uh, became utterly fixated and fascinated with barnacles. He closely studied barnacles for eight solid years, eventually writing, I hate a barnacle as no man has ever hated one before. <laughs> Still, his barnacle research did reinforce and refine his theory of natural selection. But the most persistent speculation for why Darwin waited is that he feared that his theory would damage religious faith. Remember that quite that quote I read you from The Origin of Species, I see no good reason why the views given in this volume should shock the religious feeling of anyone. Well, now, shock is the operative word there, I think. Shock doesn't mean the same thing as change the religious feelings of anyone. Darwin did not say, I see no good reason why the views given in this volume should change the religious feeling of anyone. Now, if this line of speculation is correct, it may be that Darwin was protecting not just any and every religious person, but specifically his wife, Emma Wedgwood Dar Darwin. The couple lost three of their 10 children, one who was 10 years of age. So this line of speculation concludes that Charles did not want to remove the comfort of an afterlife from his wife's way of thinking. It had become apparent to Darwin that the thing we human beings have always prized most, our consciousness, is not magical or otherworldly, but a function of the brain. I think that Darwin understood that this line of thinking leads to the conclusion that the soul is a function of the mind, 
and the mind is a function of the brain, which fairly well rules out the possibility of a traditional Christian heaven. Reflect that if Darwin waited because he wanted to do more research, that was a choice made out of integrity. It's integrity to the scientific project itself. Or if he waited out of deference to his wife's religious convictions or a fear of damaging the religious convictions of others, that too would be a choice made out of integrity. Be all that as it may, only 37% of the U.S. population is prepared to contemplate the true nature of Darwin's big idea. That is that everything about life and about the nature of the human occurred as random mutations. That there was never any direction to natural selection, only adaptations that worked out and adaptations that died out. And an adaptation that by luck and chance is great to have today might kill you next week. Nobody knows. It is an endlessly upward spiral. Nobody knows. It's just random. Seeing natural selection for what it is gives us lots of answers to lots of mysteries. But reflect that what I have just said can't be spoken in very many pulpits in Minneapolis this morning. That's the special place that First Unitarian Society holds in the religious community here. The theory of natural selection answers questions. Why are people poor? Abraham Lincoln once said, God must love the common man because he made so many of them. <laughs> well, no, actually. Charles Darwin, who was Lincoln's exact contemporary, saw the truth. It's printed in your order of service this morning at the top as a quote. If the misery of the poor be caused not by the laws of nature, but by our institutions, great is our sin. Karl Marx was having the same insight at roughly the same time. Great is our sin. Human beings create unjust systems and only human beings can fix them. That was a central insight. If, Darwin wrote, if the misery of the poor be caused not by the, the laws of nature, nowadays we humanists tend to remove that if and say no God created social inequality. Human institutions create social inequality and human institutions sustain inequality until we human beings put a stop to it. There's no mystery at all in that way of seeing it. Darwin saw further than anyone in his time. We human beings create our meaning, our purpose, and our societies for good and ill. Reflect that thoughts and prayers is becoming really quickly the let them eat cake of our own time. Even those who believe that prayer has some efficacy are finding the phrase risable in the face of constant mass shootings. Darwin told us this in 1859, only human beings can solve human problems. We live in the Anthropocene era, a geological epoch created by human hands. Darwin would not have been surprised by that, but I suspect he would have been worried. The adaptation that saves us today 
might kill us tomorrow. That's the real lesson of natural selection. The most frightening thing about our time is that so few people are prepared and willing to see the truth. You wonder if humanism has a saving message? That's it. See reality and deal with it. That's why this congregation, overlooking beautiful downtown Minneapolis, is important. We are prepared to look reality in the face. And we intend to do something about what we see. It's a strength that springs from Darwin's big idea. Darwin put it this way. There is grandeur in this view of life with its several powers, having been originally breathed into a few forms or into one. And that, whilst this planet has gone cycling on according to the fixed law of gravity, from so simple a beginning, endless forms most beautiful and most wonderful have been and are being evolved. <laughs>